Hello and welcome to the 171st episode of the Sausage Factory, which is brought to you by Spong.com and hosted by me, Chris O'Regan. In this show, we interview video game developers and ask them how they made to start making games, what their influences are and who inspires them. Split into two halves, the show initially focuses on the developer themselves, and in the second half we discuss the game they're here to promote, which in this case is Let Them Come by Tartara Games. Clement, who are you and what do you do? Thank you, Chris. How's it going? Uh, so I made Let Them Come, and uh, I suppose I'll start with a bit of a background about me. Hmm. Uh, so I'm Clement, obviously, and uh, I started actually... Um, my first industry job, I've worked in uh, AAA most of my career. Uh, my first industry job was uh, at Rocksteady in London, where you are. Hmm. So that's interesting. Yeah. And uh, over there, I worked on uh, Batman Arkham Knight, more specifically. Hmm. Uh, made a ton of friends, uh, a lot of experience. And uh, originally, you know, by uh, in the industry, I'm a VFX artist. So uh, explosions, fire, electricity all that kind of fun stuff. And um, even even before that time, though, I had a little experience working in indie, um, but not so much like developing, but providing uh, visual effects for other really small indie studios. And uh, after that, I um, decided it was time to move on, and I've uh, moved to Vancouver here in Canada. Uh, an opportunity was presented to me to work on... Uh, the Gears of War franchise, and um, I've been doing that for the past couple of years over here. Uh, I've been a lead cinematics uh, VFX artist, um, leading a small team of artists, basically doing visual effects for cinematics for the Gears of War franchise. Uh, that's come to an end now as well, just really recently, and now I'm more focused on... Um, outsourcing visual effects for uh, other studios and uh, focusing more of my time on uh, my own game development as well. Wow, that's quite a storied history there. I mean, the next question is, how did you make your start making video games? And you've already answered most oh, of yeah, that. Oh, yeah, I suppose I jumped the gun on that. Did, no, that's fine. I find most of my guests are very bright people, and they go, he's going to ask that next, isn't he? He's gonna, there it is. <laughs> there he's done it. But what I love to ask, and a lot of audience know this, is I love to know what was your very first start of making a video game? But do you remember that? What was, what was the first thing you think you made, and what was the, and where did it spring? Where did where did you go from there? I suppose I mean there's two ways. Um, my first background in doing anything like CG, I'm I'm completely self-taught. Uh, back where mm. I come from, uh, Europe, Slovenia, more specifically, there's no okay. game schools, you know. There's art academies and stuff like that. But uh, I sort of dabbled in 3D and learned all kinds of stuff just by myself in high school. Um, and that's how I came about working in visual effects. Like someone had discovered me. Uh, I was posting my work on some forums and someone from London saw my work and they called me over. It was really exciting. Mm. And... Um, but yeah, talking about indie games, my game more specifically, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a little funny how it started because, uh, you know, I didn't set out to make a game. Uh, I suppose when I came to Vancouver, I was kind of hungry to do something smaller, like mm. uh, something more indie. 
uh, just because AAA, it's just it's it's so big, it's so challenging, and the team is so huge. You're only contributing a small part to the project, uh, and I always liked uh, that kind of ownership uh, and exposure that came with working in uh, smaller teams. So I suppose I was hungry for that. Uh, and then I just sort of uh, started messing around on my own. Um, it just kind of, I suppose it was a new hobby, like just sort of exploring uh, a new engine and uh, game design. And then it kind of snowballed. And before I knew it, I had a publisher, I had a demo, and, you know, there was no turning back. <laughs> I, I just We're going to talk about Let Them Come in detail later on in the show. Yeah. But as I was saying before we started recording, everyone, um, it's a very pure game. And... Uh, your background, it says a lot about you. You've been part of machines, not machines, that's wrong, large teams focused on one aspect of a game, which doesn't surprise me considering what Let Them Come is and what it, because of its simplicity, lends itself to its purity and that it features one particular event or a thing and just lets you rinse and repeat that until you become just awesome at it. Um, and you, you, you hear of uh, large um, teams working or people working on things in these games. And they might work on a teapot, which will be seen by the player for about two seconds. But it's an awesome teapot with a little pink flower on the side. And they might have spent a week on that. And, you know, it's, it's, it, it's, these things happen. And yet, how do you project from that to making a full-blown game, whether even, no matter its complexity or not? And clearly that's what you've done here, is that you've taken a lot of lessons from designers and people you've worked with over the years and say, well, actually, I could do this. I could do something. I could make something that's engaging and engrossing whilst using the skill, the skills and abilities I have because there's certainly a lot of visual effects and let them come. Oh, heavens. A lot about lighting, I've noticed. You don't see things until the, you know, the very last minute. This is brilliant. But anyway, what was your biggest influence? What are your biggest influences as a creator, do you think? Yeah, so it, it would have to be uh, other creators, you know. Mm. I, was never, I was never starstruck by a single, you know, game director or anything like that. Just because coming from AAA, you, you get to realize that games are made by, you know, people. They're not made by uh, one person that's... Uh, you know, exposed in the media and uh, people, uh, you know, publicized. But I've met so many, like, brilliant, and still do uh, meet uh, brilliant people, other creators, you know, artists, engineers, coders, whatever, and, you know, fellow uh, indie game makers. And that's, like, the biggest driver. Just like my, my Twitter feed, it's full of other developers who do awesome stuff and just, you know... On the best days, it does a lot to inspire me. And on the worst days, it just puts me down. I'm like, oh, everyone's so better, so much better than me. <laughs> yeah. Sword. You get that uh, imposter syndrome going right through you. And that's a... Oh, yeah. You shouldn't let that happen. I can definitely take it. Oh, of course not. Yeah. But it does, you know. It's just you're human, aren't you? You're this human. and go, I'm a yeah. moron. And compared to pointer, <laughs> I don't know... Dimension Drive or something like that has come out on the Switch and like, oh, that game's awesome. It looks like it looks like a Karuga. I I should stop now. <laughs> you know, it's like, 
No, if that was the case, From Software would stop doing because they think, oh no, Treasure are awesome. There's just you know, no other developer would exist because they'd just go, oh, they, you know, it's it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. It's um, you you produce something, you stand by it, and and people enjoy it or not, as the case may be. It's just the way things are. Creations, the creative process is a difficult one in that. Um, you, you you do it. You you put your head above the parapet. You put it put it out the door. As soon as you do, it ceases. The game ceases to be yours, which is something or the thing you created ceases to be yours. And other people start interpreting the bits. They're like, no, that's not what it meant. Like, oh, never mind. You know, there's nothing you can do. It's just once once you do that. But going back to your point, you're you're having other your peers. The mere act of other your peers doing other things or doing great things is a wonderful thing to be uh, influenced by, because that's what that's what drives you. You know, there, there must have been times doing let them come. It's like none of this is working, right? I mean, there must have been points in it where you you hit walls and impasses. Is that right? Oh, for sure. And it's like one one side of it. It's like uh, my peers and you know fellow uh, developers, but the other side, it's just you know, basically uh, the target audience, people who are going to play your game, and you know, you take the game to game shows, and you get so much uh, feedback and uh, you know influence from just watching people play. And there's been many times where I was stuck on a problem and uh, just seeing someone play and seeing what their action and what the, what kind of actions they take. Uh, can be a, a huge influence uh, into how you think as a game creator and how you how you jump over hurdles. Mm. Okay, so again, these questions are designed in a way that they flow into each other. Apart from the last one, as you know, there is some connectivity with the last one. What um, developer do you most admire in an industry and why? I know you said it weren't Starstruck by anyone, but not asking you about hero worship. I'm just asking you about people who you've nodded and said, yep, they should carry on what they're doing. They're brilliant. Yeah, I suppose uh, I would have to speak of the entire teams. Like um, when I was uh, growing up or, uh, you know, teenager, I, I played a lot of uh, games by Valve, like Half-Life, Portal, um, all of those, plus like games by Blizzard. And uh, I suppose I really admire um, those uh, old studios that really sort of came out of nothing and they're like huge uh, landmark studios now, you know? Uh, so that's always uh, great to see. Like uh, they've uh, created a piece of history for themselves. Um, but yeah, at the same time, always admire small creators like uh, there's people out there making games by themselves and they look you know fantastic and they have uh, amazing uh, ideas and you see a lot more risky stuff uh, happen uh, in the indie scene as well so i can't say there's a there's a single developer i really admire but definitely admire a lot of different ones <laughs> okay okay i mean yes like you said you've been working in the industry and you've been work, working in the two different fields of it now. There used to be three, with the middle sort of like double A, what they call it, but that's now largely gone, um, and it's now been not really filled at all. We've got these two different sides almost, independent, and then um, uh, and uh, the large triple A sort of the mul- uh, large multinational developers. Although mm-hmm. you find that the, some triple A or some independent studios get 
to a size that they're not sure where they stand. Like they might be 20, 30 strong. I'm like, hmm, so what's going on there? And uh, they said, well, we've gone to a point where we, we're not, you know, it's a, yeah, it, it's interesting how that all um, came about in the last 10 years or so. Uh, I blame Xbox Indies. <laughs> um, they did a lot of good uh, and they made some amazing, at least some amazing games on the platform. But uh, and also the iPhone as well, and mobile platforms and smartphones mm. that changed everything as well. Which is, you know, when I remind people that was ten years ago, they they go, surely not? Like, no, no, it was it was a decade ago when they all kicked <laughs> off. So, okay, well, we're rattling through these. It's good. The last question is my favourite question because it gives you an idea of what makes you tick, what gets your juices flowing more than more than anything else, and what are you playing right now? Oh, so right now I've been playing a lot of like mostly I've been playing Zelda and Breath, uh, Breath of the Wild. It's, yeah, it's yeah. old news by now, but I sort of picked it up uh, a, a bit uh, a bit later than everyone else. Uh, mm. uh, you know, a couple of months ago I got the Switch and I've been playing it, and uh, I still love it. I still haven't finished it, uh, but yeah, it's like um, as an artist and uh, game creator, like that game is just such an inspiration. You know kind of knocks everything out of the park. So I've been mostly playing that. It gets a lot of things right, doesn't it? Um, Definitely, yes. It rewards the player for curiosity, which a lot of games don't, oddly enough. they uh, You've been in it long enough, been part of that process, and like, no, 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 don't let the player get beyond that wall. Let's put a nice put a nice sort of visible wall thing there so they can't go down there, and you've got to funnel them down this path. Whereas then Zelda goes... By all means, go up there. You'll be dead yeah, in a couple of seconds, yeah. but by all means, go up there. Um, how, how do you find that? Do you find that liberating? Oh, for sure, yeah. It, it, like, the way it naturally rewards exploration is just so refreshing. And, you know, as a creator, I know that's that's completely intentional, and it was a huge design challenge for them. But when you play it, it just feels so seamless. It's like, oh, of course... Of course, something's going to happen if I walk over here. Why not? Uh, but that's, that's just a testament uh, to their design team and their entire process. Uh, you know, uh, they, I'm sure they've achieved that only through blood, sweat, and tears. You know. What did you make of the puzzles in the um, in the dungeons? In the dungeon? Well, not dungeons. The little oh Christ, not the dungeons at all. But there were the little challenges, don't you? What did you, what did you make of those? Yeah, I like those as well. Um, I'm not I'm not too fond of some of the uh, motion controls one when you have to tilt mm. the switch. I always find that a bit awkward, but mostly they're pretty um, not not too challenging. Challenging. Maybe I would have appreciated some more challenging there, but um, yeah, the design is pretty sharp all around. Like um, you sort of uh, naturally uh, come to this decision, and uh, it's like there's uh, there's Usually, multiple ways about you know of going about the uh, coming to the solution. Uh, it's a it's a nice change of pace as well, because those are like more linear, right? Kind of, uh, it's a nice um, a nice change of pace, like I said, from uh, all the like exploration and uh, wandering around the huge world. I like the battle ones. We had to take on a battle robot and. Mm-hmm. use everything you've got every skill you have to take it down and they're a nice contrast to uh the strange puzzle ones in which you have to move large pieces of the scenery 
and boulders and stuff and uh, this sort of super scale sort of thing that goes to it's just a yeah it's it is an amazing uh feat and um there were some people who were doubting it but uh they need of um in my humble opinion and uh, i do think it's uh, one of the strongest years in video games in a long long long, oh, long sure. time and uh for both uh software and hardware because the switch did arrive yeah. this year um, minus the um, the millennials and their roof parties, um, sadly. Um, okay. But uh, what do you make of the Switch before we move on to the second half? I'd just like to know, we rarely talk about hardware on this show, but uh, what do you make of the device? Yeah, you know what, I've, I'm, I've been uh, kind of reluctant uh, when, it, when it first it was announced and, you know, seeing it, I thought it was a bit of a, I, you know, I, I can't, Every time I see a new piece of hardware, like my first thought is, oh, it's so gimmicky. But actually buying it and using it, I've been so pleasantly surprised at how much uh, I love it. Um, just because it's made me play games more. Like I, I love just sitting around and playing it in hand- handheld mode. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, also going by the friend's house and just he's has it, he has it plugged in as, as, a, as a proper console hooked up to the TV and just grabbing the controllers and feeling familiar and playing a game that way. Just like there's incredible potential there and it's really um, a refreshing new console. Like, you know, they're clearly Nintendo likes to go off the beaten path and try new things and they're really succeeding and it shows with Switch. It's not Mm. a perfect device, you know, but it's uh, no one else is doing this kind of thing. So it's great to see. Yeah, moving from uh, mobile space to uh, the uh, major console space is, is odd. I'm using the word space in a really pretentious way there, but you know what I mean. Um, mm. It's the, the ability to go, right, I'm off now. Oh, I may as well take it with me. You know, if you're going out somewhere yeah. or long, taking a long journey or doing, doing a commute, like, I'll oh, just grab it, put it, in the, put it in a little pouch and pop it in a bag, and, and then when you're out and about, you just pop it out and carry on playing the game you were playing at home. It's, it's just so simple yet so liberating. People yeah, on yeah. say, oh, I haven't got around to finishing that game because it's like 80 hours. I'm never going to finish that. How am I supposed to be? Oh, wait, I'm, on the, I'm commuting every day for three hours. Sure, I can play that while I'm commuting. And that's what's exactly what's happening. It's exactly yeah. what is happening. And uh, a lot of indie games in that, in that place seem to have replaced the Vita for the, place, the, uh, the platform of choice for a lot of indie development. So... Uh, like um, Crawl, for example, came out recently. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's an excellent, excellent game. And that's it's extremely violent and fun and silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's the pure, perfect, perfect platform. Perfect platform for, for that particular title. Anyway. Yeah, that, was, that was another great thing to see, just the amount of indies uh, coming to the platform and uh, Nintendo finally really embracing that. But so great to see. It took them a while. Then again, they always said, you know, they did support it on Wii. Not very well, but they did. And ever since then, they've sort of slowly... And 3DS had a lot, lot of good titles. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's exciting times. And it's hard to imagine that it's only been nine months old, and yet it's, it's completely dominated. It's just like, yep, this is an established platform. There it is. Switch yeah. is a thing. Very, very quickly. It established itself very quickly. Whereas um, new platforms, especially for Nintendo, normally have to fight their um, fight for their, their, their presence. Recently is, anyway. But it's interesting times in a good way 
a good way. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad they're not trying to fight with uh, PlayStation and Xbox. They just sort of created their own space and it's working. Mm. Uh, what, a year, what a year they've had. I oh, know. And Microsoft and Sony can have their fight and they continue to fight them between themselves and firing salvos one after the other. And like, how is this helping anyone? I don't know. Anyway, so that's, that's that for, for, for the games you've been playing in the first half. We're now going to the second half where we delve deep into Let Them Come. first question isn't really a question it's the request could you tell us what is let them come okay so i suppose i'll give you a quick elevator pitch so uh let them come is a fast-paced pixel art shoot em up and it's uh it's a wave-based combat and you're sort of uh, this uh last man standing uh you know you're you went on a ship with a group of mercenaries but things have gone you know sour you're the last man standing, but you're not going to go out without putting up a good fight. And that's the premise. And uh, the ship is packed of, jam-packed of alien uh, creatures who want nothing but, you know, to kill you, uh, see you die. And uh, luckily, uh, you're, a, you're an experienced mercenary and you have an arsenal of uh, items and abilities and a huge uh, gun. And uh, yeah just about uh, shooting a lot of aliens. So everyone is presented as your, this, this man, uh, we'll talk about him in a minute, because our first question's got over, but um, he's standing there, well, sort of sitting there behind uh, a sort of a barrier made up of boxes and crates and things, and he's got his massive, massive machine gun and, um, and a sound blaster, I noticed. Some stereo yeah. behind him. Of course, how would one do that? And, uh, He's um, using everything he's got to shoot at the creatures that are heading towards him relentlessly. Um, and um, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it requires a methodical approach to actually work your way through each wave because as each wave comes, the worse things get and it gets more. And you have to defeat certain bosses and that sort of thing to move on to the next uh, place because there are locations that you jump between are there not it's uh won't go into too deep too many details but there's different locations that uh you get through as as the as the game progresses um my first question then is i've found that there's a very slow ramp up for let them come as the beasts running towards rock gunner because that's the name of the character brilliant name um <laughs> how did you find increasing the challenge of this possession of 
of creatures versus frustration? Yeah, so that's that's always a really tough challenge, especially you know when you're dealing with uh, a wide group of people that are a target audience for any game. You know, there's obviously there's going to be huge differences in skill. Um, you know, in that group of people, so it's always really tough to um, try to present everyone with uh, with a challenge. So, what you want to do, you want to strive the game to be. Uh, you want to get players into that close state when they just play, and that's that's you're in a flow when the challenge is just right. If it's too challenging, you're going to be frustrated, and if it's not challenging enough, you're going to get bored. So you have you have a small sliver of um, you have a really small area uh, to play with. And uh, yeah, suppose I started with uh, really limiting myself uh, with design. So like you said, the, the player doesn't ever move apart from you know shooting the gun uh, and aiming. There's no left, right, jumping, nothing. Uh, the, the, the creatures sort of come to you. Uh, so immediately there's a there's a quite a you know design limitation there uh, had to think around but it also kept the game in check so it didn't blow up and become too massive um so i suppose i started with just um trying to come up with creatures and you know enemies that um you know explored different mechanics that uh, were able to work with within my design limitations so um you know, one of the first creatures you encounter is just like a grunt. He just comes, he's got a medium amount of health, and you have to uh, shoot him with a certain amount of bullets, and he'll die. Then another creature is like a spider, and they come on mass. Little health, but they can overwhelm you. And uh, then another might have a, a, a shield, and you have to throw a grenade behind them. So at the start, it was about uh, introducing the player, slowly introducing the player to... Um, New, new types of enemies, you know, slowly feeding new challenges, increasing the enemy numbers, and also presenting them with new items to try. Um, that's sort of how I approached um, designing uh, difficulty. And a lot of it was, uh, you know, balanced uh, by playtesting and going to shows, seeing how people react. Uh, you know, at some point I discovered a, a tutorial was necessary um, things like that. Yes, because people think, "What? Well, can I just get up and move? No, no. Why would you? You have a host of creatures heading toward you. Where are you going? You know, it's, um, it is very pure. It's very destructive. And there's this constant wave of creatures heading your way. And they're not going to stop what they are eventually when, well, basically, a boss arrives, which is my next question. I don't want to spoil this. So I'm going to talk about it in very abstract terms. But um, each boss encounter is unique and demands the player change their normal mode of play, in my opinion. How did mm -hmm. you design these encounters to encourage discoverability? Because that's basically what I found, is that you mm -hmm. discover how to overcome these, these monsters. Yeah, so these were these were really tough uh, to design. Like uh, each boss uh, took a lot of time to get right, you know, to get it right mechanically, and then also make sure the art side of it made sense in the context of the entire game. And uh, one of the challenges was uh, how to signal, uh, you know, provide signifiers to the player uh, of, uh, you know, exposing 
the weakness of the boss and working within the making sure you know there's like 34 items in the game i i had to make sure uh, none of the bosses were easily exploited by a certain item and things like that and again it was another case of uh, play testing a lot playing the game myself and uh, you know slowly coming with slowly coming up with ways to um present uh, challenges uh, with his boss battles and i suppose once i had a once i had a, an idea and once i had like a couple of bosses down i had a you know i had a something to play with uh, i had a you know sometimes i signified that you can deny a boss's attack so that was uh, one design tool i had to use for another boss so it sort of got easier uh, as i went on but um, i suppose one thing that got more difficult was just the uh, the imagination requirement of coming up with a new exciting boss because I wanted these to be really um, different uh, than regular enemies like a boss you encounter in the second level is this like huge tentacle monster that everyone loves and uh, oh yes yeah. Limby lovely yeah. <laughs> I love the story about his creation won't say anything but it's uh there are things that you discover along the way and you encounter Limby in all his glory. And, uh, yeah, he needs a hug, really. He needs a big <laughs> hug. Yeah. But, um, no, when I discovered how to take him out, like, oh, all right, okay, duly noted. This is going to be a tough one. And uh, I did it, of course, but um, it's just so satisfying when... Because I did it only just, which is the best way. It's the best way to take on a boss, not... Not, you know, just only just do it, you know. And like sliver of health left and, you know, just got that one more shot off and that was it, he, he crumbled. I was, I was a bit sad for him, actually. It's a bit like the cave troll in all <laughs> the rings. It's a bit sad for him. He didn't, oh, yeah. he didn't, he didn't want to be there, you know. He had to do, you know, he was dragged along there by a bunch of goblins. He didn't want to be there. Who wants to be with goblins? Anyway, I digress. Or do I? I don't know. Yeah, that, that was another. I was going to say that was another thing that was really hard to design the the challenge aspect of it. You know, when you mm. play a game, it seems everything seems easy, so you want to make it harder. Mm. Then you give it, you know, you play test it, and they, you know, people struggle, and you're like, hmm, I, you know, I'm probably just too good at my own game. Uh, so it's always a, a push and pull on on the challenge side of it. Yeah, that's a common problem, especially when you're largely working on your own, is that you get, you're practicing it so often, you're playing this game so often, you're bound to get better at it. I mean, yeah. yes, you, you are, many, many developers go, I'm rubbish at games. That may be so, but when you're making one, <laughs> you're going to be really good at it, whether you like it or not, typically, you know, because you know the nuances, you know all the ins and outs and things you can do and what it can, and what, more importantly, what you can't do. You know, I, I have this discussion with people when they're doing, when they're playing like puzzle game, or puzzle adventure games, and mm. like the witness and stuff like that. And they go, "Well, what can you do within that environment? What are the interactions you know you can get away with, and you know those. You you played it for a bit, right? You can only do those things. Anything else you you think outside of those things is going to be wrong and stupid." So don't waste your time thinking about it. And it's the same with, with, with games like this, is that, you know, you, you can only do certain things. You can only use certain weapons. You can only, you know, throw your dagger off. I mean, the, that particular Limby one, I was using throwing daggers 
while shooting. Right. Therefore, my heat wasn't generating that much because I was constantly taking out. I mean, it's just a. I just found this perfect sort of balance between because just which leads me on to the next question is really about the, the different abilities you get because there's persistence between each mm. combat engagement and you get these additional abilities which cost money based mm. on the amount of creatures you kill and you talked about how you designed those but it doesn't it's not necessarily the case the most expensive is the better one it's yeah it's just it gives you it just unlocks your ability to gain access to them is that right yeah, for sure. Like, um, there is some progression. Like, some of the uh, more expensive items are definitely better than uh, than otherwise. But it's also situational. You know, the most expensive items not necessarily going to work against every uh, enemy composition. So you do still have to experiment. And that, um, that's definitely our found out with a lot of the boss encounters. Um, yeah, one, exactly. It's just that there's one that you had to throw a certain grenade at. They're like, oh, this, this this causes a lot of problems for it, and uh, otherwise you're going to get munched on. Um, that's one of the earlier ones, but um, yeah, it's. Uh, I just, I mean, how did you go about designing those? Because there's always a problem of designing extra abilities that pers- give perceptible uh, advantage to the player without breaking the game to the point it becomes too easy. Yeah, for sure. I, I suppose they really just started with the stereotypes. You know, you want to have some sort of regular damage. And then I had a shielded enemy. So, of course, I thought, oh, let's do an armor piercing bullet, right? Mm. Plus, uh, I had packs of little enemies with small, uh, you know, with low amounts of health. So, naturally, uh, some sort of frag grenade is going to work well for those. So, that's sort of how I went about it in this, like, uh, push and pull way. And, um, it's also, you know, I wanted to have different uh, types of damages just mm-hmm. for artistic purposes, like electricity, fire. There's a nice contrast there, you know, blue, orange. And then down the line, like, um, basically wanted to explore the entire, uh, all of the elements, uh, like uh, ice. And uh, then later down the line, you uh, you buy these, like, dark matter weapons, like a black hole, um but yeah, you know, I, I I did want to have more items in the game, but it became so difficult to try to come up uh, with a new uh, damage type that wasn't just going to be something completely made up and still be functional mechanically and fit within the design of the game. So that's uh, why I settled on a, a smaller amount in the end. There's still a wide a wide range of items. Uh, but yeah, it does. It does also get increasingly difficult to balance everything once you keep adding small pieces. You know, because mm. uh, there's there's quite a lot of variables there. In the end, you have uh, you know 15 different enemy types, 34 different items with upgrade tiers and modifiers and boss battles. You know, if if you add a new item, you you, you risk throwing a wrench in this machine you've created and optimized and balanced. So at some point, you you really do have to stop. <laughs> exactly. You mean otherwise you end up putting more cogs in, yeah, and then yeah, just adding more and more features to the point where it ceases to be meaningful. Because you end up putting things like, well, I can put this in, but I have to degrade that now, and then it comes across a cascade event, and anything the the sense of progression is diminished because yeah. you're putting more stuff in. 
which works for games like Candy Crush, but, <laughs> you know, God forbid you want to be compared to that. Um, because that's the nature of their game. Is the more you play it, the more you want, you want to put money into it to get more out of it, which is not what Let Them Come is all about at all. Yeah. Um, and, you know, most yeah. of the time uh, when... Just to add to it, uh, to it, uh, most of the time when designing disabilities, uh, I would come up with uh, ideas while playing the game. You know, I was playing the game and uh, I came across a, a particular uh, enemy composition, and I thought, "Oh, this would come really handy," you know, if I had this sort of item. So that's how ideas can kind of come about as well. Some of them you just kind of write down on on a piece of paper, and some are you know, more emergent, like the game sort of presents uh, an idea to you. It, it's it's up to you to recognize it and uh, implement it. I, I've heard of emerging gameplay, but not emerging game development. That's that's good. I, I've never really thought of it that way, but of course. I, I suppose it's, you know, following, mm. following the fun. Mm. Uh, a lot of the time you're trying to make a game with a really rigid mindset, but then, you know, Something happens in a game, might even be a bug, and it presents an awesome new game mechanic you haven't thought of and would never think of. Mm. Uh, so it is sort of emergent in that sense, or at least it can be. And when it happens and when it works, it's great. It's like the best thing about game design. Yeah, excellent. I want to talk about the presentation of Let Them Come now because we can't ignore it. Uh, and I think it's, it is beautiful. I mean, it is a... <laughs> pixel art game-ish um, but it doesn't look, I mean when people think oh it looks like a SNES game or SNES or even pronounce it, mm-hmm. it no SNES could ever do this, it would it would crumble under the weight of its own you know it would just it would be a horrid flickering mess um, mm-hmm. but yes you have done this sort of like um, pixel art which is beautiful, animated brilliantly the Dead Cells is another good example of using that kind of style presenting a beautiful fluid animation animated world which allows you to do some very interesting things with light and effects but i found let them come to be uh, seems to be influenced or cross between aliens and diehard with the weapons of the former and the humor of the latter can you describe how how that came about am i right in thinking that i'm being a bit simplistic no, you've, you've put it really, really well. Like, uh, environmentally, I get compared to Aliens a lot, and it definitely was an inspiration, to say the least, you know, mm. just in the way things look and present and the ambience you feel when you play the game. But right. I haven't heard of uh, Die Hard as, uh, in the context of the humor uh, of the game, but that works as well. Like, you, you, you've, uh, you've got it right there. And, um, yeah, the way the entire atmosphere of the game came about is, uh, you know, I just started with um, this sort of uh, a little turret game. You know, I just uh, had a, I could control a gun and shoot down, you know, some creatures. And naturally, right away, it made me think of scenes in the Alien, you know, uh, mm. or Aliens. Like the second one's, uh, I think, more known for that kind of action. Yeah. And, there's, a, uh, there's a scene in the extended edition of Aliens. I'm not sure if you know this. Um, where they have, they get one of the uh, a mounted minigun, <laughs> which is the only surviving wreckage from one of the dropships, and they put a motion detector on the side of it, shove it down a corridor, turn it on, and then close the door behind them, and then this minigun proceeds to shoot actually anything that moves. <laughs> 
And I'm not sure if you know this scene. Do you know it? You know, I have seen it, but only because one of my Twitter followers uh, sent me a video of it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like when I was playing this, I'm going, yep, I feel like that minigun right now, actually shooting anything that moves. And uh, it was one of those, you know, brilliant sort of ideas. I don't know, this... Shove one of those motion detectors on the side of this thing and let it go. Brilliant! Let's just do that. And they had multiples of these guns doing that. Didn't do the job, of course, because we all know how that film ended. But still, it was a wonderful scene that should have remained in, and thankfully they kept it. And uh, I just wondered if this, that scene inspired this game. Clearly not, because you hadn't seen that scene until recently. So that's wonderful how the, you know, almost prescient of them. Go, yes, you know, eventually this film would inspire Let Them Come. Of course, that's what they thought yeah. at the time. Was the the entire film has that atmosphere about it, right? Mm. Yes, it does. It's quite extraordinary for a mid eighties film to be so inspirational, but it is. Oh, of course. Yeah. It um, does does this, that's done a lot of good and bad. Maybe I don't know, but it did bring about Halo and things like that, didn't it? So, can't be all bad. So, we're coming to an end now, Clement. I know, sad. All good things must yeah. come to an end. But uh, just to be clear, now, um, Let Them Come is out on Windows, PC, Xbox, and now PS4? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. And um, so. is it heading to any other platforms? Could you confirm or are you not allowed to? That's all right. No, of course. It's coming to mobile, iOS, and Android really soon. Oh, I can imagine how that works quite well. You just press yeah, on the yeah. screen where you're shooting. Is that how it works? That was uh, another nice thing about the simplistic design of it. It kind of lends itself well to different platforms and different control schemes. Uh, okay. It plays really natural on the phone because uh, like you sort of uh, flick your thumb on the left side to control the, the uh, aim of the gun. Right. Then you right. just use your other thumb to access uh, the different buttons. And you're, oh, not, you're, right. not, you're not messing on the screen to aim or anything so it's a pretty clean you know play space it works really well yes it's the um dirty great thumb syndrome i call it or big fat thumb syndrome when it comes to uh arcade games on uh, on platform on smartphones like i can't see anything why because my thumb's in the way you yeah, know yeah, exactly it just doesn't work um i've really whereas... tried to limit that as much as i could and i think i think i did a yeah. good job I mean, the way way I've seen a lot of clever developers overcome it is they call it the remote control system, where basically you put your thumb anywhere on the screen and then it remote controls something else that's not under the thumb itself. Right, That that works quite well too. Not always, but sometimes. And then, of course, you just end up with Infinite Runners, which is fine. You know, (laughs) Alto's Adventure, we've had them on the show. Awesome game, but... You know, it's, we can't just always have that. I mean, at the moment, my iPad is dedicated to board game adaptations and and fun arcade games that get it right. So yeah. I'll be looking looking forward to having let them come on on my uh, on my iPad while I'm going to work. Oh yeah, so, keep an eye out. I will, I will. So, Clement, it's been fantastic having you on. Thank you very, very much for sharing your experiences and your uh, insight into the development of Let Them Come. You're more than welcome to come back on to talk about any other projects you've worked on or working on or just released but in the meantime thank you very much for coming on the show sure chris uh, thank you for your time and thank you for your hospitality cool and so ends another episode of the sausage factory do leave us an itunes review and you can also don't forget listen to us on stitcher.com so just go to stitcher.com and you can stream 
the show from there. You just look up the Sausage Factory and you can find us. That'd be great. You can follow me on Twitter at Chris O'Regan, no apostrophes. And uh, if you want to email me any feedback on the show, or actually you're a developer, you listen to the show, and want your game featured on it, please do email me at chris at spong.com. Also, don't forget to check out the Computer Game Show, which is the Stablemate podcast, should we say, of spong.com. Bye!